think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 88 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 89th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. I'm Mason Rainville. And this is our first ever uh, remotely recorded episode uh, due to following uh, good, solid, evidence-based public health advice. We are recording this in our respective homes, uh, which will be, it'll be different. Uh, certainly a first, a first for the podcast. I'm, so. I'm not looking at your, your smiling face. Indeed, we're just—I I just see the little thumbnail of you uh, in the top right corner of the Google Doc. I get the, uh, and it's—it's it's no substitute. The shining blue light of my my laptop screen instead. Oh, that's that's too bad. Very disappointing. So obviously, obviously, we're in a bit of a unusual situation here. I dare I say, unprecedented in in living memory, really, of a. Uh, I mean, let's just say that our episode last time now seems very far away. Uh, we could barely remember what we were talking about when we were sort of sitting down to well not really sitting down but discussing what we wanted to talk about today um so a lot happened uh and we wanted to start with the week of march 9th and talk about a little bit about the tail end of that week and what happened and then we'll go into last week and this week uh which organizes itself uh chronologically quite neatly um so the week before last, the week of March 9th, there was supposed to be a federal provincial first minister's conference on Thursday and Friday to discuss a wide variety of issues, including uh, help for Alberta. Because at the same time as this whole uh, coronavirus thing has been going on, uh, there was also a precipitous crash in the price of oil, uh, leaving Alberta with a big hole in its public finances. Uh, so they were looking for uh, for a little a little hand up there. Uh, anything you want to add to that, Etienne? Um, I mean, yes, some of, I don't think some of that had happened quite by the time of the first minister's meeting. It wasn't as dramatic, but it had definitely dipped reasonably precipitously. Sure. It wasn't like, quite at $5 they were well a below, yet. Yeah. They were well below where their projections kind of like had them needing to be at. Yes. This, this was uh, the problem of the, I mean, the Alberta budget was introduced and then effectively made irrelevant immediately thereafter um, yes as was the case with many of the provincial budgets that have yet slash are still being introduced or or there uh, indeed yes there's a bit being of a futile exercise at this point I, I mean at that time morneau had basically just announced the timing for the budget and there yes. was there were big asterisks as or big questions i guess up until the point that he announced um it would be on i think march 30th um, as to whether or not yes, he'd, that, yeah. he'd choose to push it entirely or not um, because mm-hmm. of the economic uncertainty in sort of global markets. But yeah, and it's worth saying too that like we were coming off the uh, the very the various economic disruptions of the month of February, which now seem uh, <laughs> quite uh, quaint in uh, <laughs> like we'd love to have those problems again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, so yes, to circle back to the, the premier's conference, it seems like, yes, they were kind of the, the problems of another world. Uh, and then it turned out that, uh, Sophie Grogar Trudeau, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's wife, uh, was in fact ill with, uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus disease 19, um, which sort of threw the whole thing off because the, the prime minister then had to go into self-isolation, which is actually just wrapped up today. And uh, they didn't have it. And then on Friday, uh, the House sat 
uh, as normal, but suspended for, well, until April 20th, which now actually seems quite soon uh, optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I suspect we will not be back on, on March 20th, but uh, that is apparently the idea. And or a super a- motion April, April 20th. Yeah, sorry, April 20th. Nice. Uh, we will not be lighting one up. And what by it, I mean the Peace Tower uh, on 420. <laughs> uh, yes, so that's too bad. They passed uh, a big super motion, sort of uh, suspending the house passing a bill allowing the government to use special warrants, which are a seldom used uh, method they have for using money. Because, uh, of course, normally, uh, in normal times, uh, if the government wants to spend money, it has to go through the legislature. Uh, and I'm just going to read from uh, Marlowe and Montpetit. This is the 2000 edition of what is now Boscan Gagnon, uh, Chapter 18, Financial Procedures. In a very special circumstance, the Financial Administration Act allows the governor and council to ask the governor general to issue a special warrant permitting the government to make changes not otherwise authorized by parliament on the Consolidated Revenue Fund, which is the government's big piggy bank where all its money sits, provided that the following conditions are met. Parliament is dissolved, a minister has reported that an expenditure is urgently required for the public good, and the president of the Treasury Wars reported that there is no appropriation for the payment. So the super motion they passed on Friday the 13th, ominously, uh, actually suspended the requirement temporarily that Parliament had to be dissolved for special warrants to be used, because Parliament was not dissolved, it was just not sitting. Sure. Uh, yes, because like, it's, you know, sometimes in an emergency, like they'll have to do something, but Parliament's not sitting, so what have you, right? Uh, yeah, have this dissolved actually. To, to give an example, has this really, happened during the election, during sort of yes, the exactly. period? Oh god, that, dissolved, that would have been a fucking trend. <laughs> that would have been a bit of a mess. Eh? <laughs> dissolved really means like about to go into an election. It it doesn't mean anything else, right? Because prorogued is when it's like not sitting uh, by decree, and then otherwise it's just like in a sitting or a session or. God, where do we land on this? Which one's the long one? Uh, a session is the long one. Yes. Uh, when they're not in in session or in sitting, then they're prorogued. And then when they're not sitting, sitting, it's just they're on break weeks. Or constituency weeks, as I think we've heard to call them. Um, so, yes, that's quite extraordinary. The PC a, police have gotten to you, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, this, like, it's not really a break meaningfully for anyone involved, right? Like, everyone is still working. It's just different kinds of work. Um, so that took us over the weekend of, uh, I guess that would have been the 15th when there was a really good scrum, uh, which again, (laughs) I'll let you take the lead on talking about. So, yeah, I mean, it was almost like business as normal until basically Thursday. Um, nothing really had been canceled. There'd been some elective cancellations. Thursday afternoon is when... We actually went to go get a beer on Thursday afternoon. Yes, we did. Um, Thursday afternoon is when some of the orders were starting to come out from public health officials, um, shutting down gatherings of... At that point, I think it was still like 250 people or or some number. Yeah, quite large. Quite higher. um, Not where it's at today. Um, and you know, the amount of seriousness that ratcheted up in the next few days was, you know, many, many degrees. It went from about like a simmering three and a half to like a seven and a half, um, to hit like nine or 10 early in that week. Um, 
But Sunday was sort of the infamous uh, scrum of Minister Jolie, Lametti, and other selected members of cabinet, um, which was just bad. Um, it was bad in every measure. Um, it was the one where they basically said, oh, we, are, we have measures coming, but we can't tell you. Um, so they, they basically got caught coming out of the cabinet room door. Presumably the prime minister phoned into it. Um, often the coming out of cabinet is used to make announcements. Um, it's, it's depending on the announcement or the decision. Sometimes ministers leave that room and they say, we've just all agreed in cabinet that today, you know, the government is going to do X. Um, and that's always, I think what media is hoping for. But in this case, it was, we've all decided that we're going to do something, but the prime minister, it, help will, is on the way. <laughs> but the prime minister will tell you during his, uh, his scheduled press conference tomorrow and we won't comment on it. Um, which is sort of just horrible crisis comms. I mean, um, it, they are in an odd situation where, like, the guy is stuck at home for, like, a yeah. perfectly good reason. And you don't really want to, like, scoop the PM. Like, as we discussed in our last episode, uh, there's already a perception that Christopher Freeland is actually the prime minister. <laughs> so, like, letting Christopher Freeland take the lead on, like, the national unprecedented national emergency is just, like... I mean, it's I, I would actually defend them a little bit and say it's not really just ego. Like, it's not just like, you got to let Justin have his have his time. It's that, like, the authority of the prime minister doesn't really work if no one actually thinks he's the prime minister, right? And then you have in a more dysfunctional government. Like, that, does, that doesn't work. It's an untenable situation. No, so. uh, under, understandably, and I don't necessarily disagree with the decision to um, have the prime minister announce it. But I guess it was more the scrumming, the optics of no, scrumming, the way yeah, they scrummed, it's... what they said. Like, they were spitting out sort of uh, circa two years ago talking points about the Prime Minister loves science and... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Quantum like, computing just, is... Uh... It, it was incredibly painful to watch. I can only assume Minister Duclos felt the same way. He actually sneaks out the he back ducked out. <laughs> halfway through it. Um, so nope. yeah, bad news bears. I we shouldn't spend too much more time on it because there are you know innumerable other things that have happened since then that are probably more important. Mm, I think that was really the big news <laughs> story the last two weeks. Um, so the next day they did in fact come out. Uh, well, I mean, sort of. They they announced some, and actually, I, I we should have circled back a little bit more because like the Bank of Canada and the finance yes. minister had announced some money. Uh, the finance minister had announced a billion dollars, which, like in hindsight, looks like an absolutely quaint amount of fucking money. <laughs> uh, the Bank of Canada announced it was uh, lowering its rate uh, quite a bit. Yeah, and there was and there was a little sort of awkwardness Ausfie's, in the econ. Ausfie as well. Yes. Yeah, Ausfie was uh, basically late raising their domestic stability buffer, which is the amount of money that people actually have to be sitting on. When I say people, I mean banks. Um, to let them give give them a little more lending capacity. So those were sort of the like fiscal and monetary measures announced first, uh, and then yeah, that sort of looked like not enough very quickly. So they made another big announcement the next week. There, there was we also coming to just the the sitting down of Bill Morneau with uh, the Bank of Canada broadly um, yeah. was was raised eyebrows in economic circles because of their supposed independence. Or the degree to which they're supposed to keep sort of arm's length from each other. Right. I mean, that said, though, there's, like, really 
you ideally actually want like the government to coordinate fiscal policy with the bank's monetary policy like that's i think gonna largely be good practice but yeah i mean it's hard to begrudge like why is the bank of canada governor at this press conference like in this kind of situation but like i i see the point carry on where are we going Next. uh anyway the yeah so the aid package was announced on the 18th i believe which is uh a week ago now um after sort of saying for a couple of days we will be announcing in the coming days that help is on the way uh and that package was uh 82 billion dollars all told uh 55 billion of which was uh deferred taxation as you've pointed out yeah do you have, you want to talk about that i mean it's just misleading right because deferred taxation is not the same as expenditures um like more i mean than... from the point of view of stimulus it's fairly similar so I'm, and I'm like be... in terms of keeping money in people's pockets like in the near-term future i would say it's similar so i'm gonna be cautious about using the term stimulus to no because we're not in a stimulus period this. here we're in it yeah it's, i think you're right it's more this about really liquidity more a... it's about saving yes. the furniture not jump-starting the economy right freezing the economy in amber really more than anything else <laughs> sure in, uh, i mean really right it's just like getting it through the next couple of months what's what's the star wars freezing in uh Carbonite. Carbonite. Um, yeah, no, it's about saving the furniture. It's about ensuring that businesses have liquidity to make payroll and all of these other things. Um, yes. That people have money to pay their bills. But this is a challenge that I think is going to be a theme in all of the measures or in a lot of the measures that are announced is a lot of this is just pushing the buck down the road. Um, yeah. Three months, four months, six months, whatever, whatever the time horizon is. Because yeah. the idea that, okay, you, ha- you haven't paid taxes yet. I mean, to the average individual, they pay taxes at source. So, like, that tax deferral will be minimal. Um, mm-hmm. It impacts, I think, businesses substantively more so than sort of average individuals. Maybe self-employed individuals being the, the exception there, the carve-out. Um, but for your average, like, working at a service industry job, not reporting tips, um, <laughs> this isn't really going to impact you. But my point is, $55 million of a, what, what, what was it, $82 billion Or what was, yeah. what was the number? 80, Eighty-two. $82 billion, yeah. With more than half of it just being deferred taxation. About three quarters of it. Three, right? Yeah. Like, or two thirds or thereabouts. It really inflates the size of the package, um, where the... I'm happy neglecting the 55 billion entirely almost. Um, it's more the other, what, what does that leave? 27 billion. Um, 27. Yeah. That's of importance. Um, and yeah, these, and there's been like tellingly, like almost no discussion of that 55. Like, yeah. It's, it has not come up. Yeah. C- come and gone. Yeah. Uh, so the 27 billion was a little more, uh, seized upon for good reasons because people sort of were like, well, I'm facing bills at the end of the month. What does that look like? Uh, and as we saw, uh, nearly, well, the, the the PMO claims that a million people filed for EI last week, as a friend of the show, Scott Cameron, has pointed out on Twitter. Uh, we usually don't, this is another one of those, like, sort of economic policy niceties that is not really being observed, is that, like, they don't get to just leak the job numbers. <laughs> uh, but there you go. Uh, I, I'm honestly not really going to begrudge it to them. I think showing the scale of the issue here is important. Yeah, uh, and I think yes, it is into a, economist projections of what the hell the economy is going to do over the next quarter. Yeah, which is like, it 
I would just say that throwing the brakes on is like putting it pretty mildly. This is like a, uh, I mean, I would like we literally have never seen anything like it, right? Like it's just completely unprecedented. Um, so yeah, no, not 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 good. But yeah, so there's 27 billion dollars, uh, ten of which was going to be basically an enhanced EI for people. Uh, who are ill or taking care of someone who is ill or uh, who lost their job because of... So you're describing like their, what was called the emergency care benefit. Uh, yes, correct. The ECB. Um, and the other category was people who had to stay at home because their kids' school is closed or something. So it was actually fairly broad. There was then $5 billion allocated to what was going to be the uh, emergency support benefit, which was... For people who didn't qualify for EI, uh, but didn't have a lot of other details attached to it, uh, there was 300 million, 305 million for indigenous communities. There was 180 odd, 160 odd for homelessness. Uh, I know you have the details on hand, so if, you're, if I'm missing anything here, you want to fill them in. 157.5 million. All right, I was pretty close for, to the 160. For I think. homelessness, uh, Canadian student loan payments. Oh yeah, uh, right. the deferral of that pegged at 190 million. Uh, temporary wage subsidy, so 10 percent of business wages. I think there were some asterisks on how that could be applied. Um, <laughs> there's a payroll limit. Yeah, it was, it was a pay, it was uh, up to like 25,000 total per employer, which is not fair. and like payrolls under a million. Maybe I'm making that up. I, I, uh, I feel like that's I don't what I remember. remember. I think it was a cap of salary like he was like up to like 1300 per employee or something i think mm. i think uh yeah. that was pegged at 3.8 billion the enhanced uh, ccb which is 1.9 billion mm-hmm. um and gst yeah so yeah did i mention gst gst credit was 5.5 billion uh that was i think doubling that in the next period yes Oh, that sounds right to so me. So a, a whole, uh, and then it's it's worth mentioning. One of the other big spends was uh, business credit availability through um, EDC and BDC. EDC yeah. and BDC. Uh, yeah, the the sort of uh, Timmy and Tommy of uh, of Canadian state banks. People who play Animal Crossing will get that. One. Sorry, I, it was topical, but not topical for you. I had no idea what you were talking about. Okay. Um. It, it, the, Bill Moore knows Tom Nook in this situation. <laughs> So all of that is to say, uh, a package, um, you know, it's in normal times it would seem like a sizable sum. Um, had this been in the budget pre-COVID, people would have been more or less losing their minds. Um, I can I at, can imagine at the yeah. amount of increased spending, um, but you know, very very different days we're in today. Uh, so yeah. I, I think generally the response from a lot of people was, is that going to be enough? And yeah. when and do these, can it get out sooner? When do yeah. we get these measures? And I know you've been really big into the, and understandably so into the timeline for people receiving sort of cash in hand. Yeah. Um, because I mean, they, they said, you know, so for people who have rent and other bills do like I, I you know some credit to like the provincial government which is now setting all hydro rates at the the off peak in in Ontario which is good. Sorry, who, uh, who's, some other... who's the provincial government? Remind me. That would be the that would be Doug Ford's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be Doug Ford's PC government. No, I mean it's a good thing because you have more people staying home, etc. Seems fair. Um, 
my, my my praise for them on this is not that begrudging. It's a perfectly good move. I, it's kind of funny to to watch Doug Ford at his his press conferences be like, "This is really not the job I signed up for." But no, he's he's the provincial M- MVP of all the premiers, I think, right now. He's he's doing astonishingly well. Not well, I mean, astonishingly well for Doug Ford. I think, like, I think there's like. It seems like Legault is just insanely popular. Like, I haven't really seen much of his appearances, but I think he said something about, like, you know, maybe it's, like, he asked him, like, are you going to close the SAQ? And he was like, no, you know, I think people need a glass of wine every now and then <laughs> yeah. in this kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's charming. It's funny. Uh, whatever. All that to say, uh, yeah, people were wondering when, you know, like, I got bills due, what's going to happen with that? Uh, a lot of people with mortgages were kind of told, talk to your bank. Seems like the banks have kind of had a mixed level of, letting people slide on this stuff uh, okay uh, there's a lot more asterisks like the, the oh there's si- a lot at i mean because you end up owing more than you would have yeah, beginning the because they're just mortgage like mortgage deferral is not quite as good as it sounds no well i mean it's a purely voluntary measure right so the, of course the banks got to design it themselves and designed it in a way that was very advantageous to them surprising no one yeah like the- i don't think there's like the thing to do would have been to like make it a policy tool and design it and make it mandatory like that would have been the thing to do but like i think there needs like this government i think feels that there needs to be a lot of coordination between them and the banks and i think they don't want to jeopardize that relationship or at least make it slower or introduce any kind of friction but it seems like the the that particular runway is being foamed by people's uh mortgages getting bigger sure yeah sorry that's the intern he's just chirping (laughs) he misses me he does miss you yeah um yeah so you know that's me theorizing there i don't really know exactly what the reason they haven't like done a more binding measure but that makes political sense to me so i don't know like do you think i'm off base there or? no i mean well fuck. in in the realm of policy levers that the government has to consider using right now it's you know it's one among many um yes. and it's clearly not one that's sort of been separated to the top or floated to the top mm-hmm. well cmhc got some latitude to like buy mortgages i guess um but yeah, I'm, I'm actually not super, super clear on how exactly that facility works, but I suspect it's not the biggest deal in the world. At any rate, so this le- the way the where I was going with that is that you have people who own homes or buildings or whatever who have mortgages who then owe money, and then you have people who have to pay rent who have been laid off who cannot pay rent, but the people they owe money to owe money to other people. So everyone's kind of left holding the shit under the stick here, which is kind of hard to do. But that's where we are, except for the banks, I suppose, who always win. Um, so, yeah, this has introduced some angst. Um, and there's a lot of questions about the speed of the rollout of this package. Uh, the CCB and GST stuff is only supposed to come out in May. Uh, the new e- enhanced EI measures, which now uh, we'll circle back to this, but which is now announced today as the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, uh, is only supposed to go out like mid-April. Um, so wait, let's let's talk about the delayed rollout. Um, yeah, in, so I mean, in substantive terms, kind of, you've yeah, tried so, to dig into this at several instances. It's been asked yes. in one uh, Trudeau press conference. And someone asked more no today as well. What do you um, understand the delay to be linked to? It sounds like it's administrative reasons, 
and they haven't really been more clear than that. They've said, this is as fast as we can do it. And they have not given an explanation of, like, I, I really would like to hear, like, precisely what the issue is. Um, like, I I get it for the EI stuff, because that stuff has to be processed, but the GST CCB stuff is very much a money printer go burr kind of situation <laughs> where they, they type some numbers into a spreadsheet and money pops up in someone's bank account. And uh, by, by comparison... That's what I don't understand is not faster, right? And there already was a CCB, in G- or CCB payment in on March 20th, and there'll be another one on April 20th before the May 20th rollout. And like, as you sort of joked that there are like trolls guarding the spreadsheets <laughs> and that they must be slain and they have a lot of health, so it takes a lot of time. But like, I, no one has actually given me a better explanation than the trolls, right? Like... And I would, I would love to have that explanation. So uh, if you have it, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch. No, no one has it. <laughs> the trolls are very powerful. Yeah, so the, tr- the trolls have, have killed all the scouts sent out to ascertain their exact position. You, you need the level three armor before you even consider going into the trolls' nest. No, the, the um, troll, they got to pay the troll toll. But so it's too high. As, as a point of comparison, Nova Scotia, uh, the Nova Scotia Premier, and one of his uh, was talking about one of these new benefits. I think it was an income support benefit. Um, yeah, their income assistance were, program, which is sort of their like their their low income like supplement for people who are poor. Sure, that they were enhancing in light of the, yeah. the COVID situation. Um, when asked about it, when would this money roll out? He was like, in tomorrow, in, in the next day, like 24, 48 hours. Like this isn't going to take long at all to get off the ground. Yeah, and and I talked to someone in Nova Scotia who said that like their their client list for that is thirty thousand people, rather than like every family with children in the country uh slash everybody who qualifies for gst but one or benefit but like at the same time like it, it does not strike me that the problem is insurmountably different it like is it just like you load a bigger spreadsheet and you change the number i, I don't know right but like i would love to hear an articulation what, of, yeah like it very <laughs> like, well pre- explain to me precisely what the administrative bottleneck is on on the money printer it very here. well could be something like an it hang up uh who knows what with well the i computer mean fuck, system. with the canadian government it wouldn't surprise me that this computer don't work but like <laughs> yeah. it's very common source of problems for this government but like if it's that yeah i would just like to hear it right yes yeah we, exactly we would like, love people to are wondering sooner, why but we're running we're yeah. running on pentium 2s like yeah, it's like the troll is too powerful. He's acquired a gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's an issue. Anyway, uh, don't want to belabor that more than we already have, but yes, uh, it is frustrating. The other big issue last week was the border. Yeah, the uh, government which, changed its well, tune on the border incredibly quickly. In uh... so, th- I, I say the border because we closed our borders uh, except for the border we actually have uh our land border with the u.s and it seems like they were kind of like eating shit and looking silly on that for 48 hours to give them the time to have the conversations with the american administration that they needed to have so like fair play on that um but yes it was certainly odd and yes they certainly changed their tune i think a part of that is that the outbreak in the u.s is genuinely completely out of control oh Uh, undoubtedly yeah, like, I mean, the president is telling people to eat aquarium cleaner, uh, which has not turned out well for the handful of people that have tried it so far. That wasn't uh, quite what he said. No, he said to the chloroquine, it's so good for you, it's going to cure all the disease. 
And then someone looked at their ingredient list on their aquarium pool cleaner and was like, oh, it's chloroquine. I'm going to give that a try I for my big wet president. Meliquin? Meliquine? Am I, am I... Chloroquine. I thought there was an M. I think you have this. Mm. I think you have this wrong. Etan, who usually remembers words? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's the malaria medicine. Uh, yes. There's an M in yes. there. There is for another malaria medicine, but yeah, don't worry about it. We're just, we don't need to go down this particular okay. rabbit hole. Okay. At any rate, so that that's a big reason. Um, did today, actually, this kind of circled back up because they said no one with visible symptoms is going to be allowed on a plane coming back to Canada. So basically everyone who had symptoms abroad <laughs> tried to hide them, and that became a problem today when someone was like, hey, someone coughed for like 12 hours on my flight back from wherever. So uh, th- this period is also, I think, notable. Because well, that weekend, right? There, there was problems with uh, CBSA, or, or basically what the government said would happen at the border. About 15 yeah. million journalists, parents, brothers, sisters, whoever came back through the border and said, "Like, I was handed, nah, I happen. was handed a brochure, if that, or like something yeah. flashed up on the touchscreen." Um, to the point where provinces were sending health officials yeah their own people like the city of montreal sent people yeah, yeah they said uh, i think the mayor there said the airport was leaking like a sieve like yeah so this was sort this was in the time where the federal government was sort of taking it from all sides about the level of response and the coordination and whether or not what they were saying in the press conference was happening in the ground um yeah there were some really big questions being asked and yeah. the government was initially really struggling to answer some of those in sort of an adequate way. I mean, isn't that just the story of the week for, <laughs> for that week, really? Uh, yeah, no, and, and eventually they sort of, like, made a decisive, you know, call to just, like, shut her down, which I think was the correct one, except for supply chain stuff, which is, once again, like, the, the correct call on that. Um, but, yeah, uh, it really was the focus of a lot of media coverage and I, I found this really fascinating because for me a lot more interesting than the question of like when like all these sort of minutiae questions with the border closure of like how are like millions of people going to make rent next week you know was like for me a much more like pressing question and I don't really under well, I do understand the answer is class of why journalists were not more interested in that question uh, but it really struck me and I got very very upset about it on twitter and you, you all probably noticed so so there you go yeah i mean i think fundamentally on the question of like there aren't a ton of economics reporters in canada period um, indeed so the question of like what's going on with the border how is this being introduced to the country is a lot more understandable and relatable uh yeah and a, and a lot simpler of a concept because broadly everyone's been on an airplane and understands how the border works uh, yeah. I mean, I guess everyone pays rent too, but the the, <laughs> the the story there is much harder to see. That that's what I thought, right? It's just like to me, it seems like you cannot get a more bread and butter story than like people cannot buy bread and butter. But like, I don't know. No, but I, I found that really strange. The the compelling story that media demands is like it's, it's like you can't get b good b roll of butter. I guess. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the how real how is the disease being spread? Not how are people paying their bills? Yes. Stop. But those are both important. One. And the border was actually not the real like issue at that point. It was like community spread was the issue. Well, That's why we're all doing and, yeah. and anyway. At that point. Yes. Uh and yes, yeah, so that takes us through this week. 
the story of which has been uh, the government's relief bill because they announced a bunch of measures last Wednesday uh, and then they needed parliamentary authorization to do them because they were spending money um, and they needed legislation to do that. Um, so the legislation was introduced. So the, the, the parties all agreed to meet on uh, Tuesday, yesterday, uh, in the House of Commons and for the Senate to pass it today uh, with the understanding that it's going to be the measures announced last week. Uh, the parties got access to it a little early, and there were a couple surprises in there, uh, it turned out. So let, uh, let's just talk about that <laughs> access to it early thing. Um, sure, because, which is not usual practice. Yeah, yeah. And just the process side of the story here is that parliamentary privilege dictates that once a bill is put on notice, um, it has to be on notice for, I think it's 48 hours. 48 hours, yeah. Um, before it can be tabled in the House of Commons. Um, so as we've noted before, often the way this is sort of stage managed from the ministerial officer side is if the minister of border security wants to announce something at a border station in Vancouver, um, their aides will be on the phone waiting until the bill is tabled, um, in order to make the announcement of what's on the content, what's the content of the yeah. bill. And at that yeah, point, it's a violation of privilege to do it beforehand. Yes, because Parliament is supreme, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that means that the contents of the bill in those 48 hours um, are considered to be sort of sacrosanct. Yeah. Um, in this case, you had sort of a, a breach of privilege. I don't think anyone's going to pursue it because I don't think anyone <laughs> cares. Um, yes. But it's worth noting that just the concept of giving the bill to the opposition to review um, during that 48 hours is incredibly irregular. Yeah, I mean, um, normally and, and the, the idea is you the table rules. the bill and... Yeah, because normally the idea is you table the bill, people read it, and then there's debate about it, and then there's committee study and everything, but, like, obviously that was not really in the cards. So they, they went to a, a different a different way of doing it. But but it's also worth noting that the, um, the government didn't engage the opposition in the final stages of drafting the bill. Like, prior to it going, I presume, to cabinet um, for ratification by cabinet. and Yeah, not, not as far as I know, anyway. No, uh, I, yeah. I, I don't think so. I, don't, I, I, don't I presume your inf- I, our information is likely similar on this, and I certainly didn't hear yeah. anything. And I, so, I'm, just adding, I'm just saying that because, like, there's, there's a remote possibility that it might have happened, and I, I don't want to be, like... You know, I, I, yeah. It, um, I, I suspect people. I suspect the, the outrage at the objectionable provision, provisions of the bill was genuine. Yeah, I'm, I'm sufficiently uh, yes. comfortable saying that that didn't happen, uh, so as to shut it down. So basically, the government yes. had the option to consult on the legislation prior to um, putting the bill on notice, which mm-hmm. would have made things easier, a little more runway. They didn't do that. They instead put the bill on notice and then kicked it to the opposition, leaving a very limited window um, for, you know, some people are thinking this is like a usual negotiation process. I don't think it was <laughs> we'll, understood. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> I don't think it was understood or the government's intent necessarily to even kick off negotiations over the content of the bill. No, and I, I don't think I don't think anyone thought that. I don't think the opposition thought that. I think the opposition expected we're just going to get in, pass it, go home. Yeah. And instead yeah, it became like, this whole negotiation over the content that was done, I mean, both via the media. I think the the opposition felt cornered and someone, no one knows who, 
um, leaked the bill to various media outlets, who then rightfully um, were inflamed. The government started to walk back their position nominally initially. The prime minister tweeted cryptically about we're removing clause two. I don't even think it's clause in the two. Mo- the next morning, I think cl- it was clause two. No, yeah. it's not clause. It's like section two. It's not. He said clause two. Yeah, that's, that's my they're point. They're called parts in the actual bill. Yeah, section two. Um, clause two. The the jingle bell clause or whatever that movie is. <laughs> The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. That's what I was going for. Um, the Jingle Bell Claus. <laughs> as this was Jesus. being sort of litigated via media, um, but this wasn't some like trial balloon. The government. No, that's not how this seemed, works in this situation. Yeah, they thought they were going to pass this thing. Like, and and this is what's so bewildering to me. Even putting on like my most good face, uh, good faith hat uh, as a liberal. I do not understand. I cannot even begin to comprehend what their thought process was. Any, no, anyone so saying just this to be, was like a negotiation where you start with a real tough position of like completely undermining the intent of parliament for two years is incredibly full of shit. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. It, well, I, do we want to do the, the same it chief now or at the end, I guess? <laughs> well, we'll, we'll come back to that. You're kind of teeing yourself let's, up let's for it. Let's come back to that one. Okay. Uh, but no, I mean, it would have been... It, that's not really how negotiation works in this context, certainly. Uh, like, everyone thought we were coming back to, like, make these announced provisions the law uh, and then go home. Uh, but, yes, they, they – so just to be super clear, they came to the table with a bill that, among other things, uh, according to the, the Globe's reporting, gave them basically unlimited taxation and spending power uh, through the end of 2021 – um, the the asterisk which, on the taxation one though is like constitutional or not seemingly unconstitutional. I mean, the whole point of parliament and of responsible government is that the executive has to go to the legislature to get approval for taxation and spending. Yes, that's like that's like it. That, that that's like kind of the nut of the whole thing. Uh, and yeah, as other people pointed out, like this did not go out the window either here or in the UK or wherever else, like during World War II, during the Depression, like what have you. Um, it just not some like to me, like if we wanted to start messing fundamentally with the way Parliament works, like maybe we should go to the standing orders and say that people can attend remotely. Like if that would be the thing that it seems to me would make sense to fix right now, uh, and not like actually let's just like completely sidestep the whole institution and because we don't want to use zoom or what have you <laughs> uh like i i would have started there personally i mean i mean it should be said um that this type of situation is not unforeseen um there is an act the revised version of the war measures act uh the emergencies Act, yeah. that envisions such a scenario and provides for extraordinary power for the government but also provides but also, for checks yes. and balances via yes. a special parliamentary That's- committee so the, the yeah, government started funny. carving out its own powers for a substantially longer period of time than was ever envisioned before. I mean, it's kind of funny that, like, the, the, the sort of, like, hemming and hawing about the Emergencies Act thing has kind of been, like, oh, we don't know if we're ready to assume these yes. awesome, earth-shattering powers. Yes. And, like, we're just going to write ourselves better ones <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> have less oversight. <laughs> Times it by five. Um, and uh, that's what we want to pass, actually. Yeah, that's that's about as earth shattering as we're looking but, for. That's ooh, good. No, not the Emergencies Act. We want to pass the yeah. uh, Make Bill More No God King Emperor Act. 
Yeah, just like turn him into uh, a sandworm uh, <laughs> over time. Give him endless life. I don't know if anyone reads Dune. It's, uh, anyway, uh, it's great stuff. You guys all should read Dune. Uh, it's aged more or less well, but, you know, it's great. Um, so, yes, all that to say, that was the stage setting for Tuesday. The opposition parties showed up good and mad. And I say the opposition parties, but there was one... <laughs> One individual who came uninvited. Uh, and I, I really have to say, like, people have been like, wow, how rude of him to show up when he wasn't even one of the... Like, he's a member of parliament. At the end of the day, a member of parliament has the right to take their seat. Like, that's... It, I, once again, like, unless you're, you're Colonel Pride just being like, nope, you guys don't get to sit down anymore. Everyone go home. Like, that's that's parliament. Uh, yes, like, there's that, an that's the whole point. Inalienable right for members of parliament to sit in the chamber whenever the fuck they want. Yes, and, and no one else is allowed to do it, which is, you know, like, those those chairs are very exclusive, and the, the, the interview process to get to sit in one of those chairs is, is quite competitive. Um, but yeah, that, it's just, like, okay, sorry. We really, we're really quite bad at conveying linear narrative. It's, very ter- <laughs> it's a very Terrence Malick-esque experience listening to this podcast sometimes. Um, so Scott Reed, who is a fair to say quirky conservative who is the the heir to the giant tiger fortune <laughs> um uh or the i don't know is he the heir like i, I actually don't know no i think um, i think he he's just the giant tiger guy i mean i think it's a family business that he has an ownership stake in so okay i, I think he's at any rate he's already got some, his somehow related it. somehow related to the the giant tiger uh he uh yeah he's a sort of quirky guy who's very very pro rights of parliament all this stuff um he showed up uh and gave a wrote wrote a long manifesto about why (laughs) uh and and like look i i have to say like you you need someone to be the asshole sometimes and like i think the points he made were like a mixed bag but many of them were like very cogent and fair sure uh of of like stuff i said a couple minutes ago about like there's really no reason like parliament can't figure something out to like function effectively even in an emergency situation uh like i said like video conferencing is like yeah it's not the best like frankly like even recording this podcast like yes it is more fun it is more you know you have the the human eye contact body language etc makes it a more normal conversation to have it face to face but it's not an option right now so we had to find a way around it it was not the end of the world we figured it out in about 15 minutes uh i say that i don't know putting this together could take me like hours (laughs) who actually knows um that the point about like a member of parliament has the right to take their seat um the stuff we said about the you know the stuff about taxation powers it's largely like we actually just said a lot of his points that like, so, fairly fairly cogent stuff for the most part he dressed it up a little bit and you know what fair play like i god knows the guy who who just referenced colonel pride isn't going to be like it's way out of bounds to call people henry the eighth so one, one of uh, one of the things he one of the ways so first of all i'll start with i have a lot of time for scott reed um he is sort of one of the underspoken mavericks of parliament um, sort of the Nate Erskine Smith of the of the Conservative Party, um, which is like I I would say that's about my position as well. Which is to say it's it's a mixed bag. Um, but I mean, what one of the services he did in his blog post was it was actually incredibly procedural in nature and not sort of written for a public audience. So I think yeah. 
the reception, a lot of people, one, not understanding sort of broad dynamics. And we did a... We did a lead bearing here again, which is that this needed unanimous consent to move through all stages of the parliamentary process. But the, so, it's sort of the alignment between the party and himself and all of the opposition himself was actually perhaps greater. Um, And ultimately, in the end of the day, that's what came through, was that none of the other parties seem, well, maybe the bloc, I don't know. Uh, were prepared to grant unanimous consent to the bill as it was understood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there was furious negotiation going on for hours, basically. Well, for like basically a very sixteen long time. hours. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but they around like all night. Yeah, but they didn't write blog posts about it, right? Like that—that's seemingly no, the not. different. Like Andrew Shear could have had Andrew Shear's blog said, "I'm not going to grant unanimous consent to this either." Um, yeah, was was sort of the lead, and then. 800 words of procedure that five people in Canada understand um, is what got buried. So a lot of people were really piling on Scott Reed in a way that perhaps was undeserved. Um, be- I would say given the, the the absolute venom of it, it was undeserved. <laughs> because ultimately when push came to shove and when a deal was negotiated that all parties could get behind, uh, Scott yeah. Reed was right there on board, and he he thought that the the deal that had been negotiated by his party and others was sufficient to uh, lend his support to. Yeah, so and like it ultimately did, wasn't it, this like incredibly like immovably principled position of no, never are you getting unanimous consent. No, like it, yeah. So and and it, uh, it also and it, it worth it's worth saying it did not actually delay the passage of the bill by a single minute. No. And there's sort of a, an asterisk to all this is I'm not quite sure what role Michael Chong played in. <laughs> it seems like Michael Chong was the holdout, but ultimately did not either yell loud enough um, to successfully deny unanimous consent to the bill um, or make much of it. But he seemed to be opposed to it. Saw's the blog post. So I'm not really clear what happened there. Yeah, that was a, he. So for people who didn't watch the live stream, which is most people, six a.m. Uh, or four a.m. Yeah, he, <laughs> he denied. Seemed to like if you watch the tape and like if you yeah like this the the you can't go to the NFL here for like a special replay, but uh, he seems to have denied unanimous consent, but nothing really happened, and he didn't really make an issue of it. So yeah, so like generally, if you wanted to insist on it, you would you know point of order. I did this. Why why didn't you take it into account instead of just shimming off into the, into the background? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That that was kind of weird. I only heard about it. Um, but yeah, yeah. it was, it was noted on Twitter and I tried to like dig into it and see like, what was the deal about it? And there was like not much written anywhere on it. Um, which left it as a big question mark. Like in the end, inconsequential, but like, yeah, certainly odd. Uh, if you're Michael Chong, (laughs) <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> um, so yeah, that kind of takes us through to today. Uh, so now, like we have a we have a bill that's been passed. Uh, a lot of the extraordinary provisions have been given tighter sunset clauses per media reporting, um, and uh, some of the more uh, that objectionable clause too, as uh, Trudeau referred to it, seems to have been removed. Uh, everyone is largely okay with it. Um, the bill did uh, so. We, we earlier described those two uh, benefits: the uh, emergency response benefit and the emergency care benefit. 
support, sorry, emergency support benefit and emergency care benefit. Those have now been combined into the emergency response benefit, which is $2,000 a month for anyone who has been uh, laid off, lost work, lost income, lost all their income, actually. That's kind of one of the gaps due to this whole situation. So it's actually important because if you're, say, a freelancer or self-employed and you have taken a 90% dip in income, you cannot collect this benefit, but if you close up shop, then you can, which to me seems not the great. best incentive um, to promote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean like whatever, right? Like largely speaking, like I don't want to get to the point that the Senate Republicans are doing it in the States where it's like, well, this bill disincentivizes work. And it's like, well, that's to some degree, that's kind of the point. Uh, but you know, certainly if it's safe to do so, like there's really no harm here. Yeah, I mean, that's broadly, that's the challenge with basically everything the government is proposing. I mean, if you're working at the, if you're working, if you like have a solo gig licking lampposts, then like, yeah, maybe <laughs> you want to stay home. <laughs> but like, largely speaking, it's like people doing like graphic design or what have you, like, Every, fine, you everything know? the government is proposing, I think, should be viewed through this, this tension of how fast can it be delivered? How easy yeah. is it to administrate? Yeah, um, for sure. Um, yeah. No, and like largely basic, speaking, and do we have the uh, subheading to the how easy is it to administrate? Is do we already have the lists? Like, do we have yeah. these people yeah, yeah. in, no, a, for in sure. a database somewhere? Absolutely, and like I, I have to, it's like a big improvement. I think it it is like a lot better than what it was. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see. Like, there's been a lot of discussion about wage subsidies, and the liberals have now sort of pivoted and said, like, actually, this is a wage subsidy, which it can be kind of because employers can um keep people on payroll but furlough them and like not actually pay them and then people will be able to collect this benefit so preserving that employer employee relationship is actually pretty important in terms of like getting things up and running again once we are all able to go outside um because otherwise it's just you are introducing weeks of people job searching like can you imagine the piles of resumes that people are going to get etc the more employer-employee relationships you preserve yeah the smoother things are going to be on the other side i see a lot of angry lefties on twitter saying like why would you concentrate on a wage subsidy and it's like because you kind of want to just keep, at this point yeah keep the economy together in as coherent a state as possible or otherwise it's going to be much harder to get a recovery going on the other end like yes if someone who's like a really well-read classical marxist wants to tell me why that's wrong i'm happy to hear them out but uh seems to me that that makes sense um, one, one of the wonkier points, and I'll give uh, credit to Kevin Milligan for this, for pointing out that one of the big changes between the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit and the two earlier proposed benefits um, is the moving over to CRA. Um, mm-hmm. So this is sort of in the back-end administration of it, and, you know... Yeah, because the other two were through EI. Yes, and EI... <laughs> Which, as we have said... <laughs> they, they put... Uh, yeah. The Prime Minister announced, or it's been said, um, that they moved 1,300 civil servants over to... 13... Did he say 1,300? No, 1,300 is the real number. He said 13,000, but it was... Okay, it was I entire, thought I heard 13,000 today. entirely misspeaking. <laughs> Okay, I was like, that seems high. <laughs> we have moved uh, two whole departments of government to fill out EI processing. Yeah, um, yeah. No, okay, that makes more sense. Thirteen thousand would be nice. I was, w- but I was wondering about most that. of the people in Ottawa we know would be filling out EI claims, or yeah, which uh, actually be kind of funny. Not filling out EI claims, but processing EI claims. Yeah, um, that that'd be pretty funny actually. But it's so it's 
an important distinction just because when we talk about how these programs are administered, um, what level of troll is guarding the program <laughs> administration computer, um, the CRA troll apparently seems much weaker. Um, that is to say, the CRA system is much more robust and seems a lot more timely. Has more. I think they have more. CRA has more uh, stockpiles of ogroid oil. <laughs> yes. Has more people in their database, has the same direct deposit information um, as elsewhere. Not every Canadian files their taxes, but a substantial or a. Yeah, most... and like people have talked about, like, oh, this isn't reaching people who don't file their taxes. And it's like, once again, like, if you have to choose between something that's going to get 90% of the country as soon as possible or 100% in like three months you you just do the 90 and you figure out the other 10 yeah. when you can yeah Be- which is like it's it's tough but like that's in in a crisis situation that is what you have to do yeah the reality is the I, I don't know the actual number of Canadians that file their taxes I tried to look that number up briefly but it wasn't readily forthcoming uh, let's call it 10% um, these are hard people to reach through any program uh, broadly yeah um so it's it's a challenge yeah filing your taxes is good actually at the end of the day for, yeah, for most people unless like, you're, you will yeah, you're uh, you likely fear the government for various reasons um yes. but um, in times yeah, there, of I mean, national yes. emergency I, it helps to have your bank account on file with the government when the money printer is going brrr. <laughs> uh yeah we've often said that you can't often like you will drive yourself nuts trying to design policy around the edge cases because like especially in these situations it's just going to slow you down and that is the absolute last thing you need right now which like i i dearly hope we are able to figure something out for people who will not be reached by this uh and we will be like you know broadly working on it uh in the, in the the broad pundit sphere and the broad political sphere but like yeah uh it, getting stuff out the door as soon as possible. And this is why we need to know the strength of the trolls. We need to know their stats. We need to know their armor class uh, and their elemental weaknesses because otherwise we, we're not going to be able to overcome them. Exactly correct. Um, so I, I sort of want to wrap this up with, with two things. Uh, the first is a question that I think has been like not really asked but should be at some point, uh, which is why didn't seemingly no one see this coming? So what, what's your starting point, I, I guess? My starting like point is Like a year is that ago had, or like no, 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 a month not a year ago. ago? But like even like, th- let's say, let's say three months ago. You you look at the situation in Wuhan, you're like, that looks, that looks bad. And then you start seeing like Iran, you start seeing Italy, uh, like, you know, a month and a half, two months down the line. And you say, huh, you know, and at what point do you start to think, okay, maybe we should start like ramping up whatever maybe we should start designing a benefit in case we have to do social distancing um like were people telling cabinet ministers like from public health like hey this is a thing we might have to do in a month and a half i'm curious about that uh i think it would be good to have an answer on that unfortunately the atip act has uh, been suspended yes the ATIP act has, yeah the access information act has basically been canceled for the duration <laughs> Uh, which is very, very annoying to me. I've sent a lot of really sternly worded emails to people telling me my requests have been placed on hold. I'm like, you have. Ab- I feel like the the Sim City guy. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They're like, no, you can't cut funding. <laughs> uh, but it's like you can, you have no legal authority to do this. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's good. Uh, it does get the goods though. Um, 
But yeah, so like, did people tell the cabinet minister like, hey, uh, this is a thing we might have to do to keep people safe, or this is what the curve's going to look like? And were there precautions taken in light of that? Like, I just don't know. It would be nice. Like, and obviously, like, look, at the end of the day, this is like kind of not the time to worry about that too, too much. Um, but like at the end of this, I think we should get a reckoning on like what decisions were taken when. Could we have been more prepared? Because uh, we have sensibly learned a lesson from SARS, but it seems like we didn't to some extent so we will see yeah it seems like i mean the entire world was waiting until it hit them like yeah it should go like there were calls in canada to like suspend flights to china um which perhaps isn't you know public health officials will tell you that maybe wasn't the most effective measure yeah mixed reviews on the effectiveness but whatever it was there were calls from some quarters to take action um but we didn't do much until we started to basically do everything yes um there were no you know there wasn't a ton of leadership from cabinet there were not uh, regular press conferences until it sort of hit crisis mode yeah and, and opposition wasn't calling for it either right like yeah uh, it, like, it really did but on the other hand though like the government does get the good briefings right which is which is a different thing yeah. um but i i would admit that like everyone in ottawa kind of got caught asleep at the switch on this but i'm curious the degree to which that's true within government where presumably like i said they were getting the good briefings yeah and there, there's been comparisons to the united states where of course everything leaks more in the united states than it does in canada of mm-hmm. senators receiving briefings from national security officials tell, about yeah. the potential severity in January, of this. yeah, in January, and then selling off stock. And so, <laughs> what did what did our timeline look like for this, and why? You know, our government wasn't terribly proactive. Uh, well, like I don't know. Like, were they? Like, I just as, I don't I don't far, know the answer. As far as we yeah, know. as far as I can tell, no. Like, so, but like I don't. It just seems like maybe proactively buying up like a lot of masks, maybe figuring out your ventilator supply chains, maybe figuring out like these benefit programs, frankly, like you design them ahead of time, you get kind of the administrative stuff set up and that way you're able to get people a payment by the end of March because you've already done the back end. I don't know. Look, I'm not in government, so maybe this sounds hubristic and like I have no idea. Uh, But like, once again, these are like, I would like to have an articulation of like, what was done and what wasn't done and why not at some point yeah there there will or there should yeah, and, like, no and, doubt and, be and at the, the end of the day right like it's an unprecedented crisis situation i really at this point like i'm not interested in throwing bricks through the windshield of the government on this like i they probably are doing the best they can but yeah it's just like i am curious about some of the stuff on the back end 100 uh, percent, because like personally and like it, it goes to everyone right it goes to, like everyone who did not sell their stock portfolio weeks before time like seeing it on the horizon i yeah. i was no great um who's the who's the person who runs nostradamus the, no not Nostra- well no. that'd be a good one uh <laughs> the go. town crier in the united states american revolution paul revere paul revere that's what i was looking he was, for he was not a town crier he was a silver yeah, yeah, yeah i know no great though do you though <laughs> paul revere but like in my own personal life like for quite a while my only thinking was i'm, I'm not gonna touch the poles in the metro like that or in the in the lrt like that that was the measure i took to prepare myself for yeah. this in advance yeah. of it becoming sort of cataclysmic and like yes. in retrospect i should have stocked up on toilet paper 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, usually everyone's pooping six times as much now. So I went to the so. grocery store today, no flour, no toilet paper, nothing. I mean, glad people are learning how to how to bake bread, though. That's good. Yeah, but, but Apparently, you, yeast is the new hoarding target. Yeah, yeast wasn't there either. I, fuck. Mm. These are like staples yeah. of my daily life, and they're gone. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, you wanted to do a This Ain't It, Chief. <laughs> So, for context here, uh, Tian and I are big fans of the podcast Report This Post, which is excellent, and you should listen to it. Uh, and also support them on Patreon, because the, they're, they're good. Um, but, uh, yeah, they do a feature every episode where they take a real dumb post, uh, and they, they say, this ain't it, chief, and uh, talk about why it's really bad. Uh, so, Tian really wanted to do this uh, <laughs> for a thread we found today. Uh, so Tan, I will let you do the honors and lead off. Yeah, let me let me read it to you. Um, so I won't say who it's from. I just want to note that the guy's a bow tie in his in his profile <laughs> picture, which is never a good sign. Um, but I, I won't say who it's from. But it's sort of from an archetype of like lawyers on Twitter, like retired lawyers who now dabble Especially, in politics. Yes. Yeah, um, and you all you all know our position on lawyers broadly, but yeah, this is some lawyer brain on steroids here. And like the liberal retired lawyers who like try and explain everything, but have never. We, we saw a lot of them about a year ago during the SNC thing, yeah. where they were like, "Actually, it's good, and here's why." And, and it's like these like bonkers, like Eric Garland style threads, and like yeah, it's just silly stuff. Yeah, with like very limited political experience or insight, and so it's just like broadly completely wrong and devoid of context. Uh, but yes. but here's another one that has received 1,000 likes and 500. Oh, has it really? And 585 oh, retweets. Five four hundred ninety-seven per. Uh, oh, I'm gonna re. Uh, oh shit, five eighty. Yeah, here we go, five eighty-six. God damn. Um. So this is some moron stuff too. <laughs> here's the thing about the conservatives' behavior over the past seventy-two hours or so. The government announced a relief program a number of days ago. Uh, without detailing the required legislation. Eh. Then, various public servants went to work drafting that legislation, knowing that in a minority situation, it would have to be negotiated with the opposition parties. This is obviously a thread, by the way, folks. Who could stop me quick passage by denying unanimous consent. Then the PM and cabinet undoubtedly approved the draft for purposes of that negotiation. So, so I'm going to stop him right there. Wrong, as we've discussed. Like, not not actually really how this works at all i i first of all take issue with the line the government announced a relief program a number of days ago without detailing the required legislation what yeah that doesn't really make like like well i mean they did say we will need a bill to do these measures ccb like they actually did detail the required legislation (laughs) taking that literally (laughs) it was everything else that was in the bill was the issue yes Um, yeah oh man let, let me continue The draft was then timely circulated in confidence to opposition parties for comment and response in the usual way of any high-stakes negotiation. And once again, wrong. It was not really comment and response. It was like, here's a chance to look at it. Uh, And in... Yeah, I mean, timely also, it seems like they got it like late Sunday night, maybe Monday. The phrasing of draft is wrong timely yes. wrong in confidence <laughs> it's actually breaking parliamentary privilege but well i'm, I'm yes. willing to give that one um yes. for comments on a response don't know that wrong. or wrong well wrong <laughs> and in the usual way of any high stakes negotiation there is no like, usual not way these for the, kinds, like, yeah no. 
God. Because, like, once again, usually this plays out over, like, amendments, if there's going to be these kinds of processes. But, like, in a bill where they said, we're going to do our relief package, and you come with, like, oh, yeah, also here's, like, just God King authority for Bill Morneau. It's like, well, that, come on. Anyway, go ahead. Well, let, let me carry on. There's a lot to get through. <laughs> this is the best part, yeah. As anyone who has ever conducted such negotiation knows, it is rare for any party to put forward as their opening position, that which they hope to get at the end of the negotiation, there's some real art of the deal shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> you gotta get the good deal. <laughs> one typically asks for more than one expects to get and bargains backwards from there. Yes, yeah, so let's start with uh, absolute control over the country and work our way backwards. That's a strong yes. negotiation position. Mm-hmm. And remind me, the government didn't really get that much more than they were asking for in sort of the... Uh, the government ended up walking back basically everything to where the parties were. I don't know that the government got any sort of additional superpowers out of this. They got a lot of broad authority to do health spending in a public health emergency. Um, but that also got a fairly restrictive sunset clause. So. Sure. But- and also required... Like, there, there's also now going to be parliamentary oversight of it. Yeah, it seems very, yeah. very reasonable now. Yeah, entirely, yes. Likewise, any adult contemporary to negotiation upon... Re- counterparty, not contemporary. <laughs> oh, sorry, counterparty. Not, not adult contemporary. <laughs> <laughs> upon receipt of a draft proposal, analyzes it, and comes back with a counteroffer, stating principled reasons to back that up, and so it goes. Ah, yes, the very timely negotiation with 24 hours to uh, to hack through a 50-page Yeah, 24 bill. hours or people... Yeah, and it's like, otherwise you're holding, like, all of Canada hostage for money they need. Like, no, A, a 50-page like, bill that's dense and technical and that yes. parties aren't necessarily, particularly opposition parties, particularly non-Her Majesty's uh, loyal opposition parties, have the yes. resources to necessarily analyze. The, Indeed. The government when, when that takes you to the next, that takes you to the, yeah. The, we, no one, like, has the capacity to, like, write a counter bill. Yes. The, like, no one has the amount of lawyers on staff, etc., like, to do that stuff in 24 hours. No, it's not going to happen. The two researchers are not doing, <laughs> like... Or however many. <laughs> yes. <laughs> selecting no one in particular. An adult... Uh, counterparty in Andrew Shear's position under current circumstances would have called the PM and up and said, look, we all want to get a deal here, but provisions A, B, and C of your draft will never get unanimous consent. We'll send you a counterproposal shortly. It's like, no. It's would have called happen. the Prime Minister up. Yes, I'm, this is yeah. not how any of this works. Yeah. Um, in, <laughs> especially at like... Yeah, I love this. I love this. Instead, in the case... In this, in this case, in this case, information about the first draft was conveniently leaked to the reptilian Robert Fife. <laughs> Very nasty, Robert Fife. He's so reptilian. No doubt, by conservative actors, perhaps with se- <laughs> who are conservative actors, perhaps with senior CPC HQ leadership con- connivance. You you know he doesn't mean actors like people who are. No, I know, but that's the joke okay. I was going to make. I was, I was trying oh, to think okay. of. Who very conservative actors were. Um, Fife then gleefully ginned it up for consumption by the usual usual cautery in the Twitterati. I like to I like to imagine his bow tie spun after he wrote this one. <laughs> then in steps one, Scott Reed, an otherwise obscure MP of modest achievement, 
declaring that he's going to breach the all-party agreement limiting House attendance to an agreed list of MPs apportioned in accordance with party standing and deny the unanimous consent. An obscure MP of modest achievement. Uh, an MP not on the greatest of standing with his House leadership. So ha- having him be the, the hypothetical spoiler in all this, acting on behalf of the party, is very far reach. Yes. Next steps in the remarkably charismaless Pierre Polyev. Honestly, like, the, the funny thing is that this actually really has the, the like, rhythm of a Trump tweet. But, like, <laughs> yeah. it's much more, like, erudite. But, like, calling, like, the, the reptilian Robert Fife remarkably charismaless Pierre Polyev. From a basement modest somewhere. Ad- modest achievement, Scott Reed. <laughs> somewhere near Ottawa. Frothing on Twitter <laughs> in support of Mr. Reed, Andrew Shear acquiesces, acquiesces in all of this. At this point, the cons have never responded at the negotiating table. Which, once again, he has no way of knowing, uh, yes. right? Like, there's no way of knowing. Preferring to have their lead drama kings speechify to the grandstand about how the very foundations of parliamentary democracy are under attack. Which attack, of course, can easily be repulsed by one nay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Canadian... Yeah, because unprecedented taxation powers that literally a revolution was fought over in the United States is uh, nayed away. Meanwhile, Canadian families, workers, and business people are enduring the most anguish-producing by any crisis since the FLQ affair of 1970s. I'd actually say this is substantially worse than the FLQ affair of the 1970s, but I guess I wasn't alive then. Well, this this is this is what he he agrees with you, in fact. Oh, unlike the one death there, hundreds are sick and dying, and the economy is crashing. Okay, you know, first point I agree with here. Uh, but yeah. the conservatives to play continue to play their partisan game, thinking it is a good look. It would have been particularly fair for them to make their points behind closed doors in an adult negotiation, and the government would have certainly have accommodated those concerns. But no, the conservatives have to act out their drama thinking they were hashtag winning or quotes winning. There's no hashtag there, it's just quotes. (laughs) In fact, all they have succeeded in doing is to cement the public's perception of their party as completely tone deaf, which is exactly what led uh, led them to electoral defeat this time around. One will happily debate another time whether the government's first draft was actually unconstitutional or unprecedented in nature. It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, I love that. Like, okay, yeah, sure. But suffice <laughs> yeah, I'm sure to, you reviewed everything else. But suffice to say for now that the conservatives could have saved the country much agony by acting with maturity and judgment. They didn't, and this will be remembered. So much to go. And like once again, it's worth saying that for all the, the angst over this, the, the passage of the bill was not delayed by a single minute because it went to the Senate when it was supposed to and it got royal assent when it was supposed to. It resulted in 16 hours of unnecessary negotiations because the government presented a seemingly bad faith proposal and a dramatic overreach, um, effectively killing any goodwill they had from the opposition parties in trying to negotiate this crisis on sort of an equal footing. Um, yeah, yeah. I I literally cannot put my head on and believe any of this stuff in my most in my most like incredulous liberal partisan hat. I mean, I think the thing with like the incredulous liberal partisan hack thing is that they see the conservatives as like ogres, basically. Which like you know, 
it is what it is. Uh, and like the conservatives certainly aren't the guys who who are the most like play fair bunch going usually speaking. But like frankly, like let's just talk. Let, let's zoom out and let's talk some game theory here. Um, like if you're the opposition in this setting, going to the table with the government, like what do you do? Like what's your leverage, right? Like you know that people want this to pass. You want this to pass. So like being like, hey, we're uncomfortable with this is like, and they say, well, too bad you're going to vote for it. Or you're going to take the blame for, for it is like, well, that's kind of tough, especially if you haven't softened the ground at all for your position. What they did, which is perfectly smart in a political negotiation, was they softened the ground for their own position by giving it to the media and letting them build a narrative around an overreach and then using the leverage they built to then get the concessions they wanted. We, like, we presume. We don't, we, don't, pretty... we don't know who leaked it. Okay, uh, I think we do. There, there are other versions <laughs> of it that say the liberals leaked it, but who knows? Um, yeah. I don't know why they would have, though. Like, it made them look really bad. Yes. All of yeah. the... I mean, what one of the takeaway lessons in all of this is the ability, in part, for the liberals to completely torpedo trial balloons based on the backlash of sort of the Ottawa elites, uh, which is sort of what happened here. Like, as soon as it was leaked, the usual Twitter voices um, started speaking out quite vocally, you know, from, like, John Ibbotson all the way down. Um, and people were really confused as to why the hell the government was doing this. And no doubt that caused some minds to change amongst the government. Um, yeah. But the fact that it made it that far, it made it through cabinet as the proposal that they were willing to run with is bewildering. Absolutely bewildering. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know in what universe they thought this was going to fly. Uh, this one, I, I suppose. I suppose it's this one, yeah. Yeah. And all that is to say that to that thread of tweets, we have to say... <laughs> this ain't it, Chief. Very good. I, I think that's where um, we end it. I think that is where we end it, indeed, right a minute 13 or so. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, first remote episode of The Boys in Short Pants. Uh... We will be back when we're back, I guess. Now, uh, now that we're set up like this, it's actually easier than meeting in the same physical location and recording. So perhaps more frequently, I suppose, especially in these yeah. in these times with you know in these troubled times, yeah, with times on our hands. Well, very good, folks. Um, with that, we we bid you a good night. You can follow us on Twitter at Short Pants Pod as always, and uh, yeah, bye bye. <laughs>